0: Amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. If you're visiting with us at Calvary Chapel again, we're so blessed that you're here. In our services on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, we go through the scriptures. We go through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And on Sunday mornings, we've been in John's gospel. So this morning, we're going to continue our verse by verse study in that gospel. If you'll turn to chapter 16, we're going to cover verses 1 through 15. So John's Gospel, chapter 16, we'll begin reading at verse 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. We want you to study God's Word with us this morning. Again, our text will be verses 1 through 15 of John's Gospel, chapter 16. Now, as you're turning there to the fourth book of the New Testament, In this section of John's Gospel, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. It began in chapter 13. We'll continue through chapter 17. Jesus is with his disciples in his last night prior to the cross. He is no longer speaking to the nation. He is no longer speaking to the multitudes. He is no longer teaching at the temple in Jerusalem like he had been doing for over three years. And Jesus is telling them that he's going to be leaving them, the the disciples, and that that will take place in just a few hours from where we're reading here in chapter 16. So Father, we do pray this morning that again as we've just worshipped you and had a wonderful time of worship, um, remembering and celebrating the birth of Jesus. Um, we know that as Jesus has been saying now that the hour has come. The appointed time came for him to be born as the babe in Bethlehem but he came for a particular purpose, specific purpose, and that was to die for sinful humanity. And Lord, I pray that as we read these words that he's given to his disciples that bring them comfort and hope and understanding, that we would have uh, hope and understanding as well. And as we make application, that we would receive comfort, knowing that the greatest gift that any man or any woman could ever receive is the gift of salvation that has been made possible through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season that we would share that with others, that we would be a light to them in the darkness of this world that's all around us. And Lord, I pray that today we would be edified for these few moments, that we would stop in the busyness of the season and really find rest in you as you speak to our hearts and touch our hearts. So we give you this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is Judas. He's already left the 11 there in the upper room, Judas the betrayer, and he is with the religious leaders as they're gathering a detachment of soldiers to go and arrest Jesus. That will take place in a garden that is called Gethsemane. So Jesus says, to his disciples as he has left the upper room with the 11 that are left with him that are his they're making their way across the city to the garden of gethsemane but jesus had told them that the disciples i now call you friends and because we are friends of jesus which means that we have relationship with him he is sharing with those that are his and that includes you and me this morning because we belong to him our Lord is sharing his heart with them, things that are very important for us to know and to understand. And as he's sharing with them, he's he's bringing comfort to them because they're troubled right now. Uh, They're confused. They don't understand everything that is going on. And Jesus told them in chapter 14 that you don't have to be troubled in your heart. You believe in me, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for, for you. And that is, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And he would also say that, That you know the way, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You you know the nature of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the heart of God is like, then look to me and, and, and study me and behold me. And, of course, you have the privilege of prayer. That as you belong to me and you ask in my name, you shall receive. And we talked about what that means you have my peace that is with you and you will bear fruit as you abide in me as we traveled into chapter 15 and as you abide in me in my word and my love and as you keep my commandments you will have a fullness of joy and we see that Jesus would also bring words of comfort to these 11 disciples that are with him by saying that I'm going to go away but there will be another that will come the helper the comforter speaking of the Holy Spirit and as we move along in this chapter we will see that Jesus will talk more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we read that Jesus says to his disciples there in verse 1 of chapter 16 of John, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. So you recall if you were with us in our study last week that, that Jesus as we finished chapter 15 was telling his disciples that the world is going to hate you the world's going to hate you. The world loves its own. The world's going to hate you for my name's sake. A servant is not above his master. So if they persecuted me and they hated me, they're going to persecute you and they're going to hate you as well. I'm telling you these things so that you will not be made to stumble. So Jesus is warning these of his of coming persecution that will come against them because of their belief in Jesus. You need to be aware that this is going to happen to you so you're not surprised by it, by, so you're not stumbled by it. Now, we stumble over something when we don't see it, right? We're walking along and all of a sudden we stumble over something that we didn't see. We have to be careful. We have to be aware of what's around us. We get surprised when something comes to us that we weren't expecting. Well, I wasn't expecting that. That's a surprise. So that's why Jesus is, is telling them, and again, this is a word for us. Not to be stumbled, not to be confused, not to be shocked or surprised when the world comes against us. And I think that it's important for us to remember these words of Jesus because particularly when we're young, if we're a young Christian or we just come to Christ, we begin to realize that, hey, my friends, some of my family, neighbors, co-workers, they're not happy for me. They're, they're, they're um, you know, not supportive of the decision I've made for Christ. And it isn't long before we realize that the world comes against us. And again, because the world loves its own. And we are in the world, but we're not of the world. So don't be surprised. Don't be thrown for a loop. Don't be stumbled when those of the world and the world comes against you as well as the enemy coming against you as well. That will happen to us as believers. So Jesus continues in verse 2 telling them, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will uh, think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So following after Jesus isn't always easy for us as Christians. It can be rough at times because the world comes against us, because the spiritual battles are real out there. The enemy comes against us. And here Jesus says that they will put you out of the synagogue. And that was a very scary and very difficult thing to happen to you at this time 2,000 years ago in Israel now you might recall we've made reference to this a couple times going through this upper room discourse but Jesus would say concerning the religious leaders when he was finishing his ministry uh, to the nation and he was speaking to them for the last time before uh, this upper room discourse before he would have his last meal with his disciples he's alone with them he's sharing with them but right before he did that he would uh, be speaking to the nation, to the religious leaders. And it tells us that even among the rulers in chapter 12, verse 42, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And you see, as we discussed, that was a very scary thing. There are those who looked at his works, heard his words, and they knew that he was from God, but they would not confess him. They would not surrender to him because they feared man over fearing God. And to be put out of the synagogue, such as that man in chapter 9, remember the man who was born blind, that Jesus brought healing to him, rubbed mud in his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And, and that man did. And he was brought before the religious leaders, and they really uh, were uh, coming against him. And, and how were you able to see, and what did this man do? And, and they would end up casting him out of the synagogue. He was excommunicated. And to be excommunicated because you followed Jesus meant that you would now be an outcast in society. If you had a job, you worked for somebody... Probably you would lose your job. If you had a business, that business would go belly up. If you were one of the religious leaders, you lost, of course, your reputation, your status. Uh, Again, you would be an outcast. Your family would disown you. Uh, Your friends uh, would uh, have nothing to do with you. It was a very difficult thing for that to happen. And Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to you, that they're going to put you out of the synagogue that they're going to persecute you, they're going to hate you, they're even going to kill you. And those doing it are thinking that they are doing God a favor. And it would be those disciples that would go through persecution at the hands of the religious leaders and actually a few days from this night, because this is Passover. Forty days after Passover was Pentecost. And that's when the church was born, Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit came upon those believers. And when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached... You know, the gospel in 3000 got saved, persecution would begin. And in chapter 4, you see that these apostles here were brought before the religious council. They were told, yeah, We forbid you to speak the name of Jesus. Well, they continued to do that. In Acts chapter 5, they would be in prison once again. They would be put on trial before the religious council. And the high priest would say, to them did we not strictly command you not to teach the name of jesus you have filled jerusalem with your doctrine isn't that a wonderful statement by the way you guys you keep speaking the name of jesus you fill jerusalem with your doctrine that is with the gospel and i hope and pray that that would be said of this church calvary chapel that we would fill Greeley, that we would fill Weld County with the gospel, that we would let people know that Jesus loves them and died for them, that that He is our only hope, He's our salvation. Right? As we do that, as as you go out and share, as we have ministry to reach out to others, as we have the radio program. It reaches all along the front range. It's so exciting to fill Greeley, Well County, the front range with the doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ so people can come to the light. But we will be persecuted for it, just as they were. And it continued in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, of course, you know, the first deacon was martyred. He was stoned to death by the religious council. Then in chapter 8, persecution came to the Christians. A very difficult and hard persecution came to them by the hands of Saul as he caused havoc on the church. And it caused the Christians to spread out, to have to leave their homes and go into other parts of Judea and Samaria and start all over again. So persecution would come by those who thought that they were doing it for God, being spiritual. And so the Lord is preparing them for what is going to be coming. They're going to do bad things to you. But remember that ultimately it's a good thing that you are persecuted in that. It means that you really belong to me. And because you belong to me, they will hate you Because they hated me first. Jesus goes on to say in verse 5 But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So the disciples would understandably have sorrow in their heart at this time because he was leaving them. He had been with them for over three years. These guys had left everything to be with him. They saw the incredible miracles. The great multitudes had gathered. There was an expectation that he was going to throw off the yoke of Rome. And now they realize that throwing off the yoke of Rome is not going to happen at this time. They don't understand everything that is happening. So sorrow has filled their hearts. They didn't fully understand about his atoning work on the cross, his burial, his resurrection and eventual ascension back to the Father. All they know about, all they can think about right now at this moment is that he's saying that he's leaving us and where I'm going, you can't come. In verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So as their hearts are filled with sorrow, as their hearts are troubled, Jesus begins to explain to them that is to your advantage that I leave. Now, I'm sure that these guys are thinking, no, it's not to our advantage. We want you to stay. We, we want you to be with us. But Jesus now wants them to understand that when he dies for them and resurrects from the grave and goes back to the Father, that the Helper will come, speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit. And as we have discussed, the reason that Jesus says that it is to your advantage that I go away was, of course, what he was about to do on calvary's cross and and make an atonement for our sins there would be no hope of forgiveness of sin at all if jesus didn't go to the cross for these guys for you and for me but also it was to their advantage that he go away so the holy spirit may come to you as he tells them jesus could only be at one place at one time The Holy Spirit, of course, as we've seen that Jesus has already told them, will be in you, will be with and in all believers at all times. That's the advantage of the Holy Spirit coming, the Comforter, the Helper, God in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus now is going to explain to them the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, And so I have to go so that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, I will send him. Notice the personal pronoun. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of force. The Holy Spirit isn't an it or a spirit floating around. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. One God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is very, very important for us to understand that because if I view the Holy Spirit as a thing, or an essence, or a force, or or a power, then my focus will become related to the Holy Spirit. How much of the Holy Spirit do I have? It's almost like the Star Wars mentality. I understand there's a new Star Wars movie that's coming out next year in the theaters. You know, those of us who have been around Star Wars or watched it, the force, the force be with you, kind of like that mentality. When I understand Him to be a person, the third person of the Godhead, He is God Almighty, then my focus is how much of me does the person of the Holy Spirit have. It's two different mentalities. I do reject what I have seen in the past, what I have heard in the past. Suggestions or ideas uh, or, you know, implying what the Holy Spirit is about. What I've seen on television. What some say, you know, about as they associate what the Holy Spirit is to be. They'll do things like taking off their jacket and start swinging their jacket and here comes the Holy Spirit and whoosh and out they go. Or I've even seen one guy who's kind of like, here's the Holy Spirit, you know, like a softball are you ready, and whoosh, and throw it out, and all these people are mowed over and all of this. (laughs) The idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon people so they will bark like a dog or an animal. And this is popular in some parts of the church. Crawling on their hands and knees and howling, or drunkenness, staggering around, and then telling people that this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, This is what you should desire. Nowhere, absolutely nowhere in the scriptures do I see those kinds of things that we should desire. Staggering around. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Gentleness and meekness. And long-suffering. The power of the Holy Spirit that we might be a witness to others. And live a life that is pleasing to God and glorify God. We are talking about the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, the third person of the Godhood. And I'm going to play around with him like he's some kind of softball that I can throw around. And refer to him as a bartender that will fill you with a a new wine of joy. And the result is you're going to stagger around like you're drunk. And then say that's spirituality and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. And in that mentality where he is treated like a force that you can just turn on and turn off and manipulate and he's a plaything. There is such an absence of awe of who he is and a missing out of a real quality and depth of godliness that he wants to do in our lives. Of true power that is available to each one of us as believers, as we come in humility and in submission to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in each of our lives. So, how much of me does He have for His purposes and for His will and for His empowering? The Holy Spirit working through the people in whom He lives. Not how much of you do I have so I can throw you around with my jacket. So the helper, another, as Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, means another of the same kind, equal with the Father, with Jesus, and the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, verse 8, Jesus continues, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness, verse 10, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And then verse 11 of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. Now conviction, we need to understand, as he will come to convict, is not the same as conversion. But conviction is necessary for there to be conversion. And the word convict in the Greek means to present or explain. Those facts, to convince of the truth. The Holy Spirit wants to present evidence in the minds and in the hearts of people in the world to bring us to a place of conviction which will lead us to a decision for Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will convict the world of three things. Number one, of sin. Second of all, Jesus says of righteousness. And then thirdly, judgment. Man cannot come To an understanding about sin, about righteousness and judgment apart from the Holy Spirit. Now in verses 9 through 11 that we just got through reading is speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. Later in verses 13 through 15, Jesus will speak of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world is to convict them first of all of sin. Now, here's the interesting trend, and we've talked about this before, and perhaps you've heard it and read on it as well, but there's a growing trend among, again, some pastors that don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to mention sin. They won't even mention that word sin. They say, well, we don't want to mention sin. We, we don't want to tell people that they've sinned or they're sinners. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to scare them off, and here's the thing. You and I cannot truly give the gospel message without mentioning sin. You've heard perhaps Greg Laurie say on, and Grace FM, I've heard him say this uh, several times, that before you can receive the good news, you've got to know the bad news. And the bad news is this, the Bible declares that all of us have sinned before God, and the wages of sin is death. And I don't understand how you can tell someone that they have need of the Savior in Jesus Christ if they don't realize that there is a sin problem. That Jesus came to take care of that sin problem, to die for our sins. I even heard one preacher say years ago, I'll never forget it, that Jesus came to make good people better. That's not the gospel. Jesus said that there is one that is good and that is God. Jesus came to make dead people alive to save us of our sin, to convict the world, their need for Jesus, because every single one of us have sinned. And the one sin that will damn you and me is that rejection of Jesus Christ. It is interesting here in verse number 9 that sin is in the singular. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And that encompasses the message that yes, we are sinners, we have all sinned, missed the mark, we need a Savior in Jesus that died for all of our sins, and that forgiveness is available through the blood of Jesus, the who atoned for our sins. Jesus said, all manner of sin is forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that brings that conviction to believe in Jesus, to surrender and turn to Jesus. Jesus said in verse 9 of sin because they do not believe in me. And there is no recognizing that need for Jesus without conviction. Conviction is a good thing. I want to tell people that they have sinned and that sin has separated them from God so that there is conviction. And that's why it's so necessary that we tell people that they are sinners. We're all sinners. And the only way that we can be saved from sin is through Jesus Christ. So conviction comes from God. Conviction is to bring us to God. Conviction is a good thing. Now to the world, conviction is to bring you, as I said, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so it is important, extremely important, that the message of sin is given to the lost world so that conviction does take place. Yet some will be afraid to do that well, we don't want to be condemning or exclusive or seem intolerable or want to judge or scare people away. We want people to feel good about themselves. That's the popular thing today. Listen, I'm all for feeling good about life and things like that, but here's the thing. we got to know truth. And we're not really showing love to people if we're not giving them the truth that they're lost without Jesus Christ. So the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life then for you and for me as believers is to bring conviction to us when we are sinning or going down the wrong path or whatever. And again, it is beneficial to us when that happens, isn't it? We want the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We want the chastening of the Lord in our lives. I'll tell you what is more scary than the chastening of the Lord. He chastens us because He does love us But what is more scary than the chastening of of the Lord is not to have the chastening of the Lord. To continue going down a road or having an attitude or living a life that is contrary to what God wants us to live, and then we miss out on that abundant life. So conviction, always remember this. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't want to condemn anyone, do we? Conviction comes from God to bring us to God condemnation comes from the enemy to push you away from god so that's the way you can tell the difference so here the ministry of the holy spirit and it is important as i said to understand the ministry of the holy spirit to an unbelieving world because they don't believe in me the holy spirit convict them of sin their need to accept jesus and cry out to him for forgiveness and keep that in mind when you're sharing with others And when you're sharing with others, sometimes people say, well, that person, I, I see that they're immoral or they're involved in sin. Yes, their sin has to be confronted, but you don't want to just say, hey, you know what, you need to turn away from that, you need to stop doing that without really getting to the central message, and that is Jesus wants to save you and he loves you because they can't be free from that sin unless they turn to Jesus. In other words, you can't put the cart before the horse all right? Before you can clean the fish, you got to catch the fish. So make sure that you give them Jesus. Make sure that you tell them that Jesus wants to to make you a new creature, uh, be born again by the Spirit of God, give you a new heart. Transformation happens that He loves you and died for you. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world is to convict the world of sin. Secondly, verse 10, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father, speaking of his ascension. So what is Jesus saying there? That the standard of righteousness to get to heaven to the Father is Jesus, who is perfect. Jesus, the only one who ever lived on this planet, the only one who never sinned, who never missed the mark, He's the only one that lived a perfect life. Everything that he did, everything that he thought, everything that he said was righteous. It was in perfect harmony and in submission and was pleasing to the Father. So do you and I have that kind of righteousness? In other words, in everything that you've said, in everything that you thought, in everything that you have done, can you say it's been in perfect submission and harmony and in the will of God, pleasing to God? No, we can't say that. You can seem like you're a very moral person, but still all of us have missed the mark. We might think, well, I'm a lot more righteous than a family member or my neighbor or my coworker, or the person that I go to school with, whoever it might be that guy that I work out there in the field with. But that's the wrong comparison. And many people of the world have believed the great lie that if I'm good enough, that's my ticket to heaven. So you leave me alone, you fanatic, you know, you Christian, you Jesus person. And that's what they'll think. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that group. Paul, when he was writing to the Romans in chapter 10, he's talking about the Jews that he had a heart for, wanting them to receive the gospel, their need for the gospel. And he writes in verse 4 that, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. They were thinking because they had the law. They were thinking because they were the covenant people that they were saved, that that was their righteousness. And Paul goes on to write, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus told his disciples that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I'm sure that when the disciples heard that, they were just absolutely floored. What do you mean? What do you mean that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious leaders? No one is more righteous than they are. I mean, look at them, their long robes, the phylacteries on their heads and on their their hands, and, and saying the long prayers on the street corners, and fasting, uh, and all their you know, tithing, even the seeds of their garden. No one is more righteous than they are. What do you mean our righteousness must exceed the righteousness in the scribes and the Pharisees? And we know that Paul would write, and as the scriptures would tell us, that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. We see a powerful illustration of that in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 3, Zechariah has that vision of Joshua, the high priest, the religious leaders, that standing before God, and he's in these filthy robes. Now to the world, to the people of Judah at that time, he would have the high priestly garments. They were beautiful, the breastplate, the miter, and all of this. But before God, he's wearing filthy rags, and the Lord says to him, take those filthy rags off him and give him new garments. It's a spiritual picture, illustration of a very important spiritual truth. You see, to the world, you and I may look righteous compared to others that are in the world, but before God, a person presenting their own righteousness to God is found filthy. And the only righteousness that will be accepted is not the righteousness of a scribe or a Pharisee or a religious person or a good person, or a moral person, or a sincere person. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he, that is Jesus, made him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's the thing if anybody is here that you think that I can get in on my own righteousness, that I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, Uh, I'm a good father, good mother, Uh, I support my family, Uh, I'm a moral person, I, I belong to a church. Anyone who's here that might think that, or somebody that you might talk to, my question is this How righteous do you have to be? Where's the line? Are you sure that you're righteous enough? Are you absolutely sure? Because what if you're not? What if you fall just a little bit short? So the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit is convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Second of all, righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. And then thirdly, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. Interesting, the ruler of this world is speaking of Satan. Satan. The death and resurrection of Jesus was a condemnation of Satan. By Jesus' victory over death, he defeated Satan who held the power of death. Colossians chapter 2, Jesus' death on the cross meant he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus' death destroyed him. That is Satan who had the power of death. That's the devil. So Satan has been defeated and judge so the conviction of the holy spirit to the world is that satan has been judged and defeated so why would you want to align yourself with satan of course you don't want to who has been defeated we align ourselves with jesus and that's why it's so important again that we take on the command to abide in him to abide in his word and in his love that we might have a fullness of joy and fruit might be born in our lives and produced in our lives. And then in verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. The disciples were unable to handle or to understand more spiritual truth. Sorrow had filled their hearts. The Lord knew uh, what they could handle. And, And I'm so glad that the Lord works that way. And what I mean by that is first, when we become Christians, particularly young Christians, we can't handle everything. We don't understand everything. The Holy Spirit has to teach us and to show us things. We have to mature and grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It reminds me of 2 Kings chapter 5. There was this Syrian general. He was a, a mighty man, a mighty general. And, and he had leprosy. And his servant girl from Israel that he had in his house said, Go see the prophet Elijah. And he'll bring healing to you. So Naaman, who wasn't a believer, didn't know the God of Israel, he goes to Elijah. And Elijah says, dip seven times in the Jordan. And that's what this mighty general did. He dipped seven times in the Jordan. He came up. He was healed of that leprosy. and, And he said, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. So what he does after that is he takes some bags of dirt from Israel back with him to Syria. I'm going to take some dirt back so that I don't worship other gods. He thought that by taking some dirt from Israel, that I'm taking some of the God of Israel with me somehow. He didn't understand that God is everywhere, that God is the creator. And what was the response of Elijah to him when he did that? Elijah said, go in peace. Elijah didn't say, oh, Naaman, you're so dumb. You don't get it as stupid he said go in peace perhaps that's all that Naaman could handle at the moment and I know that in my own life and in my own ministry that there were things that the Lord wanted to show me but he waited until the right time he knew I wouldn't understand at the moment but as I matured and as I grew, He would help me to understand things more, and He's still growing me, and He's still maturing me, and He's still showing me a lot of things that I need to know that I'm not getting right now, but I just patiently wait for Him to do that and work my life, and it will be the same with you. In verse 13, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak." And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now Jesus is speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it relates to believers. He will come, he is called the Spirit of truth, and he's going to guide us in all truth. The Holy Spirit will never deceive you. The Holy Spirit does not speak of his own authority. Jesus says that the Father... All the things that the Father has are mine. He has said in this gospel that I don't speak of my own authority. I speak the words of the Father. I don't do my own works. I do the works of the Father. And it is the same with the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to guide you and me in all truth and teach you all truth. The Holy Spirit will be your teacher as you learn the scriptures. He will guide you. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't have Bible teachers that expound on the Bible that can help us and benefit us, but ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to teach you. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict what the Word of God declares or the example of Jesus. Remember in chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. In John chapter 17, we're going to read that Jesus says that the Word is truth. And now the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. When the Holy Spirit is ministering and convicting and working, it is all done in truth. So you can't say, well, this is of God, and it contradicts what the Word of God declares. You're in an immoral relationship or adulterous relationship. Oh, God brought me that woman, that man, into my life. I know that he did. No, he didn't. So you can't say things and do things that is contrary to truth, and say that it comes from God. And the Holy Spirit will convict us again in the life of a believer of sin. You know, that's what's so wonderful about when you read the book of Acts. The early Christians turned the world upside down because, you see, they were full of the Holy Spirit. We hear a lot today in the church about being, you know, purpose-driven. Listen, I want you and I want this church to be Spirit-driven. And the Lord guiding us and directing us and empowering us and teaching us is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Holy Spirit ministering, working in our lives is to glorify Jesus, verse 14. We read in chapter 15, verse 26, is to testify of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you to give you the power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth our Christian lives is not about being a religious person or to show off your grasp of spiritual understanding it is to testify of Jesus and to bring glory to him by the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives so Father we thank you Lord as we stop here at this point in our study we thank you that Jesus came and is speaking such powerful and important truth in the lives of these disciples and into our lives as well. And I thank you that we see the the role, the, the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world and in our lives personally. And Father, how we need him, dwelling in our hearts, teaching us and guiding us and empowering us, And Lord, to be a testimony of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and the gospel and to glorify you by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I come this morning and I pray the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus. And I pray this morning that that ministry will be taking place not just here but throughout churches throughout the world that meet on the first day of the week presenting the gospel to a lost world and Lord I do pray if there's anyone that is here this morning that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ maybe you considered yourself a good person maybe you grew up in the church maybe you belong to a church maybe you're here and you think I've sinned so bad that that God can never accept me he loves you all manner of sin he died for. And the invitation is given to you, whosoever believes in him. That's for anyone. But you can't get in on your own righteousness. And don't believe the the condemnation of the enemy that says you can't come to Jesus Christ. His invitation is given to you this morning to come and believe in him and be forgiven. Jesus died for every one of your sins he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days and he's alive and he wants to make you a new creation in Christ to forgive you, to give you the hope of heaven. If that means anything to anyone today, will you open up your heart to Jesus? He is your salvation. There's none other. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave, conquered sin and death. Only Jesus. Validating and who He was, the Son of God, and what He did for you in dying on the cross. He loves you. And if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Will you give your heart to Him if that means anything to anyone this morning? You pray right where you're sitting with your heart that Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you were put into a grave and you rose again and you're alive, desiring to sit on the throne of my heart. And now I open up my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for dying for me and thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming to this world born in Bethlehem. light of the world. My life is not its own. (laughs) Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If anybody prayed that prayer this morning, will you put your hand up and put it back down? God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know have Raising your hand doesn't save you. You're saying, I'm making a confession. I'm not afraid I'm making a statement of faith that I've come to Christ. Anybody else at all? And if you're out in the coffee shop, you can raise your hand and or just write a note there on the communication sheet. And Father, I thank you for the work that you've done. The convicting of sin. And Lord, lives that you have changed and touched. A new beginning when we come to you. The greatest gift of all, salvation a free gift. We can't earn it. And Lord, I thank you for the hope that we have and the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place and as we'll be heading towards Christmas in the next few days, that your joy of fullness would be in our hearts and the peace would be in our lives. We know it only comes from you. That you would bless your people. You would keep us safe. Those who are going to be traveling, that you'd have a hand of protection upon them. Those who perhaps have family that are traveling to us. Lord, we pray the same thing for them. And family and friends and coworkers and others that we are with, Lord, may we give the message of the gospel of light and truth to them. Is so wonderful and freeing that brings salvation to a lost world, to a dying world. Bless everyone here as we go our way now, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand?